This episode of the ACB Advocacy Update has been made possible in part through the support of ACB of Minnesota. You're listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the ACB Advocacy Update. I am your host, Swadhan Kumar, and I am ACB's advocacy and outreach specialist, and I'm joined by Clark Rockfall, ACB's Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs. Thank you to everyone who is joining us via your favorite podcast player. Um, Please download, listen, review, and recommend the ACB Advocacy Update to your friends and family. And also hello to everyone listening on the ACB Media Network. Hello. Okay, great. So today we're doing a holiday theme, uh, a grab bag again. Isn't that right, Clark? Uh, it's just a whole bundle of joy. Uh, we do not have the uh, 12 advocacy items of Christmas, but we do have a, a plethora of advocacy items that are going on right now. Some happening because of ACB's involvement and others that are going to be impacting our ACB members. Yes, absolutely. So first off, we have the ride share or refusal survey. So we have members that told, let, let us know um, just through our channels or presence through our email lists that Uber and Lyft and other registered companies have been, den- have been um, Denying rides to passengers for blind or visually impaired, be- and claiming claiming that and claiming that they weren't wearing a mask. So, yes, that and um. So we decided we decided to um draft or send out a survey to our members to see what you got what you guys have and what you guys have have experienced or um have heard about from your Right, right, and right, So, yes. Yeah, and I, I think the reason that this is pretty significant, and we've heard from members in California and members in Florida. So it's not like this is a, an isolated issue to one driver, one neighborhood, one county, or even one state, right? Um, but once a driver has flagged a rider as someone who is not wearing a mask, then there could be additional steps that are required for that individual to request a ride again. Yeah, it's basically a black mark on your um, record. So yes, it's not great and we don't hear about it. So yeah, and it it could result in uh, taking more, more time to schedule rides. It could also result in technical barriers. You know, if a if somebody who is blind or somebody who's low vision has to upload a photo of themselves wearing a mask before they're able to get in into a car from a rideshare service, well, that that could be a barrier for a lot of folks. I I have never been good at taking selfies, Swatha. I don't know about you. Mm, I've had a long time. The cameras, so I'm pretty used to it. But yes, 
<laughs> well, so if anyone needs selfie tips, ask Swatha. If uh, if you need to upload a photo of you wearing a mask, you <laughs> you know who you can come to. Um, but but for folks out there who are say on their way to to childcare, on their way to the airport, um, or even to a doctor's office or to a pharmacy. You know, a lot of times being able to schedule a ride in a timely manner to meet an appointment or to meet one's obligations, we rely on that same quick and timely service that everyone else does. Um, so it's, and it's just rude. Yeah, it's, it's just dirty. It sounds kind of, yeah, doesn't sound great. At all. You know, no. well, you don't, you don't want to, you're not going to charge the the pet fee for a service animal. You're just going to decline someone for wearing a mask or um, yeah. you don't like the way that uh, a disabled person might need assistance. So you're just going to flag them and drive away. Come on now. Yeah, no, no, absolutely not. <laughs> so if this has happened to you, please let us know. And, and Swatha, what are the ways that they can let us know? Um. You can call me at 202-467-5081 and tell me about your experiences, um, your name, city of city and state, and about what happened during, during that, during that um, instance. Or you can fill out our survey. Or just email me at acv.org. Yes, it's hard. Yeah, and they, the ride refusal survey is available on the ACB website at acb.org, and we will include it in the liner notes for this podcast as well. Yes, we will. But Swatha, that's not the only item in the news related to rideshare services lately, is it? No, it's not, Clark. Um, again, pretty great for us um not really but we um different release that DO, the doj run justice is is um suing uber for essentially charging time fees to disabilities who might need more time to get in, in their cars or in their vehicles um so as of now uber charges you a fee if you take longer than two minutes to find your ride and get, and get in your car, and that can just impact the people who are blind, like, and who might need help finding a car, or, or who might need to take extra steps to find a car to get into 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 the car. So, if um, if if you think that or if you, or if you find that you've been charged this three time fees, um, you can you can email um uber.fee at usdoj.gov. I know personally, I have certainly been charged late fees over the years while attempting to call or message a driver um, and not being able to connect with them. And then lo and behold, it's the car right next to me, right? Yes. Or we are in totally opposite areas of the parking lot. And once I am able to get a hold of them, I have them honk the horn or they notice that uh, the individual who's saying that he's wearing a mask and holding a white cane is the individual wearing a mask, holding a white cane. 
So it's, it's a real issue that impacts a lot of folks, especially folks who are blind and low vision, especially folks with mobility impairments. Um, and we are, we're thankful that the Department of Justice is stepping up, stepping up and looking into these issues. Um, and as <laughs> we're just going right down the list here, Swatha, because that's not the only area where uh, the Department of Justice is being active related to transportation and equal access. Yes, very, very busy this year, um, this month. The DOJ recently reached a settlement with the Urbana Champaign Transportation District. That is? Yeah, that is yeah, right? Champaign Urbana Mass Transportation District. Basically, the Department of Transportation for um, a, a city or a region in the state of Illinois. Yes, in sure. Yes, in state of Illinois. Yes, and that um, they the 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 district has um, agreed to make their websites and mobile apps um, to track and to schedule rides and to find fares for those rides for for the, for the bus rides. Um, Accessible and compliant with and comply with WCAG two point one double A standards. So, yes, yeah. yes. Um, so another instance where the Department of Justice Office of Civil Rights is telling government entities, um, as well as well as others, but in this case, a, a government entity that. In order to comply with Title II of the Americans with Disabilities Act or ADA, that they need to make their uh, website and online information accessible to people with uh, visual and mobility dexterity impairments. They need to make that information accessible. So, in this case, like Swatha said, um, the public transportation. The local agency in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, they need to make uh, all of the information, whether that's checking the ride schedules, tracking rides, uh, payment information, they need to make all of that accessible and they need to have it comply with the web content accessibility guidelines level 2.1 A which is kind of the, the gold standard right now. We know that the World Wide Web Consortium is working on updating those standards, uh, but 2.1 level AA is the, the standard that everyone should be adhering to at this time. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, in addition to making their website and mobile apps accessible and information accessible, uh, Champaign-Urbana has also agreed to invest $100,000 into uh, improving their service accessibility as well. Whoa. So it'll be interesting to see what comes of that in the coming years. So and that's just down the road from where you used to live, right, Swatha? About three hours, but I guess you call it down the road, sure. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, here on the East Coast, you'd cross over four states in three hours, but <laughs> once you get out into the Midwest... Um, three hours and that's you know for some folks that's just a local trip to the park <laughs> so and this is also uh, at least the the second time in recent memory that the department of justice has reached a settlement agreement 
with a local uh, Department of Transportation earlier this year in New Jersey. Uh, this is either over the over the summer, say like August September timeframe. The uh, Depart- U.S. Department of Justice reached a settlement agreement with a local New Jersey um, Department of Transportation because they, although they provide disability services, they provide paratransit service. Um, this d- Department of Transportation was not in compliance with the Motor Voter Act, and they were not assisting people with disabilities uh, to register to vote and providing election information. So again, I'm very glad to see that the Department of Justice is taking an active role in, uh, you know, uh, seeking out and resolving the civil rights inequities for people with disabilities. Yes, we love to see that. We love to see our rights being funded and our rights being upheld. Yes. Um, what else, Swatha? So going along with uh, access and accessibility, um, our Quest lawsuit, Clark, can you talk about that? Absolutely. So uh, the good news this week, ACB, uh, we released a statement updating folks on our ongoing litigation with Quest Diagnostics. Many folks know Quest Diagnostics or Quest as one of the largest lab providers. Uh, so anyone who needs to have, uh, you know, our friends in ACB Diabetics in Action, if they're going in to have lab work done, uh, testing of, you know, blood sugar, insulin levels, things like that, many of our folks, regardless of what underlying conditions you have, you could be a member of ACB students or next gen, or you could be in a member of the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss, if you have underlying medical conditions that require routine or continuing lab work, chances are you've gone to a Quest facility. And if you've done so since 2016, chances are you've encountered an inaccessible self-service kiosk. Um, These kiosks uh, are used to complete the registration service, Um, the servicing uh, your personal information and checking into the appointment. Um, It also lets the folks in the back know that you've arrived for your scheduled appointment. Um, So this is something ACB's heard about from our members over the years and something we attempted to resolve with with Quest, Um, but now we're involved with with litigation in them. And the, the court's that is hearing this case in California um, has affirmed a national um, class action status uh, for injunctive relief under the ADA, um, meaning that the once this case go that this case is ready to go to trial, and that at trial we will be hearing um, and and hopefully the court will be siding in our favor that Quest needs to make all of their self-service kiosks um, that patients interact with, they need to make them accessible for people who are blind and low vision. Earlier this year, back in September, um, 
Quest asked the court to basically dismiss this lawsuit, saying that their uh, the services provided by their kiosks did not need to uh, comply with the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, and we are fortunate that and very thankful that the the court you know the court dismissed this argument um, that the the court believes that ACB's arguments are valid and that Quest will need to comply with the Americans with Disabilities Act in all of the services that they provide, including those uh, those services provided by the the currently inaccessible kiosks. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned. This is not over. Uh, we will be at this point. Uh, next up is going to to trial, and we're we're very fortunate to have some some great attorneys working with ACB in this matter, um, and we will update folks as soon as we can. Yes, we will. All right. So now on to Congress and everyone's favorite budget processes. It's not over, is it? No, it's not. No. So back earlier in the fall, um, geez, what, October, Swatha, the uh, Infrastructure and Jobs Act was passed by Congress. Yeah, and, November. Yeah. yeah, November. Thank you. And that that's pumping 1.2 trillion trillion with a T dollars into our infrastructure. So surface transportation, uh, roads, bridges, rails, airports, um, all of that. A lot of money flowing out there to the state and local governments to improve um, infrastructure and complete long-standing projects. Um, you know, bridges, tunnels, again, that have been in dire needs of, of repairs. Uh, but also, as new transportation projects are done, they need to be designed in accessible manners. Um, Swatha, one thing I don't know if we've covered on the, on the podcast, but the All Stations Access Act was included in the Infrastructure and Jobs Act. Yeah, so this, um, this act would make legacy or older transit systems uh, come up to par with ADA and current guidelines. So like, so, so systems like the, like the one in Chicago or in New York, um, those have to be upgraded to the standard of today. So, yes. Yes, all of these, um, you know, rail systems that were, designed decades before the ADA was implemented. Um, This provision that was included in the Infrastructure and Jobs Act, a bill that was originally introduced by Senator Duckworth. Uh, Again, we're back in Illinois. Um, Mm. You know, once Swatha joined ACB, all of our content just keeps going back to Illinois. But here we are. state, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But these these provisions will provide... uh, very large grants to the um, to these transportation systems. So whether it's the um, you know the subway systems in New York, Boston, Philadelphia, Chicago, um, and other cities, they'll be able to add add elevators, add ramps, and um, also 
have the effective communications for the train schedules, arrivals, wayfinding, all uh, accessible signage, all of those items are possible for these transit systems to use these federal dollars to improve, install, and update. Yeah, yeah, making them bigger and better, actually, yes. Yes, and that's part of the current administration's, uh, you know, U.S. domestic agenda. It's a very large part of it, so they're they're very happy to have that part done. Uh, but another part is the budget reconciliation package or the Build Back Better Act, Swatha. Yeah, so this one is um, a large package that includes funding for. Things like transportation and home and community-based services and a climate, the climate um, situation or crisis, I guess, and uh, and jobs and other um, programs in this. So, yeah, and spot the two that I'd like to focus on here. So you mentioned home and community-based services. Yes, HCBS or, or HCBS as they are known here in DC. So uh, how much funding is there included in this bill for home and community-based services? It is $150 billion with a B. So that's a lot of, a lot of money. Um, a very, uh, like, a, like the biggest decrease in funding since like a very long time. So made forever, I guess. And what are home and community-based services? So they are services for adults and older adults and people with disabilities who um, don't really want or can or can't really go to uh, a nursing home or a institution or um, no, like again, again, no, they don't want to again. Um, and it's in, nor should they have to. Yeah. Exactly. Right. If like if we want. Um, our members in the broader community, folks to be able to age in place, you know, live in their community where their local support structures are. Yeah. Um, they should have the the services and the supports necessary to do that. Yeah. So this provides like the, the funding for funding for those services. So like home nurses or or um, other care facilities in the area. So mm-hmm. this allows us to stay home and stay in. In the communities. So. And this is an item relevant to one of the resolutions passed by ACB this year, Resolution 2021-18, dealing with uh, the need to account for older individuals with blindness when providing training and direction for home and community-based service providers because we have a, a lot of members of ACB and a, a lot of members out there in the broader population who are getting older, who can benefit from home and community-based services to remain in their community, um, remain around their support and social networks, uh, but who are also living with vision loss. So how do you combine the two? How do you ensure the services that you are providing meet the needs of somebody uh, with low vision or who is blind as well. So that that's something that ACB and the Alliance of Aging and Vision Loss will be working on with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services as, uh, as this funding 
is being made available and guidance is being passed to the state and local providers. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Swatha, another item that you mentioned was related to employment in the Build Back Better Act. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So in addition to creating a lot of new jobs and good paying jobs, um, the the package or the bill also provides $300 million for incentives for incentives for employers to transition off of 14C or sub-minimum wage of certificates. So kind of essentially letting them pay um, people with disabilities the same as a minimum wage. So, yes. And um, also transition from or not from transition to competitive integrated employment. So employment that's well paid and that's also you know like a normal job. So yeah. Yeah. So in the 116th Congress, ACB uh, supported the Transformation to Competitive Employment Act. Uh, the bill has been reintroduced in the 117th Congress, largely the same, but with the addition of um, integrated employment to kind of align the bill with the the language and the requirements that came out of the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act. So now in the House and Senate, there's the bipartisan bill of the Transformation to Competitive Integrated Employment Act. And like Swatha said, it it would provide grant funding to states and uh, service providers that employ people with disabilities in segregated settings on sub-minimum wage uh, certificates. Um, That grant funding will be used once, once passed, of course, and once allocated, that that grant funding is available to transition over a number of years those employees to integrated environments as well as to raise their wages uh, to at least the federal minimum wage. Yes. Uh, And certainly something that we support. We support it for our members. We support it for the broader community. And uh, it's not passed yet, but we hope that it is passed and that it's able to be included in the budget reconciliation package. Uh, Swatha, where is that budget reconciliation package, where is that in process right now? So right now it's in a process called the BIRD BAP, not a BIRD, B-Y-R-D. Um, it, it's a review by the par- parliamentarian of the Senate to um, see if it aligns with budget processes and aligns with the rules of the process, of the reconciliation process. And um, they're hoping to get past before the new year, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, so there are pretty uh, pretty strict and arcane um, traditions, rules, and requirements uh, in Congress, particularly in the U.S. Senate, and the budget reconciliation process um, falls into that bucket. So the Senate parliamentarian is currently reviewing the provisions of the bill to see which 
fall in line um, with what can be considered as part of the budget process. So certainly we hope that the, the funding for home and community-based services, as well as for uh, you know, expanded Medicare coverage and more affordable uh, you know, drug pricing through Medicare and these employment uh, programs, including the Transformation to Competitive Integrated Employment Act. We hope that that's all able to remain in the budget reconciliation package. And if the parliamentarian gives uh, the green light, two thumbs up, you know, five stars mm-hmm. on Yelp would recommend, then the, the Senate can proceed to a vote. Um, this, the Senate is a 50-50 split of Republicans and Democrats. The, if there is a 50-50 vote, then the vice president... We'll take over and we'll, and take over, we'll, we'll vote as well and we could tie. Yes, but there has been some some question on whether all, you know, where senators will fall due to the the price tag. I think the current estimate for the Budget Reconciliation or Build Back Better Act is around $1.75 trillion. Mm -hmm. So uh, a little, just a tad more, a smidge, a skosh more than the $1.2 trillion from the Infrastructure and Jobs Act. Um, So we we will see what happens, but hopefully we know here before Congress recesses for the holidays and for the new year. Yep. And speaking of um, the Congress and holiday new year recess, um, the they passed the continuing resolution to fund the government until February, so February 18th. So this is pretty important for us because if we don't fund fund the government, it's going to close and we'll go hungry essentially. So, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, uh, Congress always works better when there's a uh, a catastrophe looming on the horizon, right? Yeah. Uh, so uh, things that Congress has done while while debating these other large packages. Um, they they raise the debt ceiling so the U.S. can continue to borrow money and will not default on on our loans and our debts. And as Swatha said, we passed the Congress passed a continuing resolution, um, and that will fund current government services and programs at you know their current levels until I believe February 18th. Yeah, Swatha, so that. That kind of pushes that deadline out a little bit so that Congress can focus on, like we mentioned, the, the budget reconciliation package. Mm-hmm. And that way they don't have too many, uh, you know, too many priorities on the plate at the same time. Yes. So. Yeah. Uh, and Swatha, as we get into the new year, we ACB have uh, a looming special event, and that is our 2022 D.C. Leadership Conference. Oh, yeah, that. Um, that not like, not like that old thing? <laughs> yeah, so that, it's in, yeah, so that conference will be our annual, annual leadership conference, so um, it's in March, March 11th, 15th, in Alexandria, and it has an old town, um, has a different name, but that's the name I, I know. So I'm gonna 
Nope, that's that name? yep the the Hilton Old Town in Alexandria, Virginia. Very close to folks who have come in previous years, and when we've been at the uh, you know the the Holiday Inn or the Crown Plaza, uh, same same neck of the woods in Old Town, Alexandria. Uh, very close, right across the street from the King Street Metro Station. So mm-hmm. very convenient for travel from Reagan National Airport. Quick access to, uh, you know, the bus lines to get into the waterfront in Old Town, shops and restaurants, but also right next to the Metro to get us into Washington, D.C. and Capitol Hill. So this will begin and more information is forthcoming, we promise. Uh, so stay tuned for additional information from ACB related to the DC Leadership Conference. But we will begin on Friday, March 11th with the ACB board meeting. The ACB affiliates president's meetings will begin on Saturday. Yes, um, as well as, and they will conclude the morning of Sunday, March 13th, uh, near and dear to Swatha in my hearts, the legislative seminar will take place the afternoon of Sunday, March 13th, and continue on into Monday, March 14th. Yes, hi day. Oh, hey, how about that? Three, <laughs> yeah. yeah, 314. Wow. Oh my goodness. Uh, there will be some special, special celebrations at the, uh, the leadership conference, holding it on Pi Day. Um, and then Hill meetings related to our legislative imperatives. We'll be on that Tuesday. Yes, beginning on Tuesday. Uh, we encourage everyone that wants to take part in the meetings with members of Congress to coordinate and work with the leadership of your affiliates. Um, For the folks who plan to attend in person, we recommend reaching out to your members of Congress, your representatives, your senators, and asking them if they are taking in-person meetings, um, if they are comfortable with that, and if you all are comfortable to meet in person. Any meetings that are not done on Tuesday, March 15th, well, we know from this past year that we have the capability, um, the technology, the know-how to schedule remote meetings with our members of Congress. And the beauty of that is we don't have to cram them all into one day and that we can include more folks, um, you know, maybe folks who were unable to due to schedule, due to costs to come to Washington, D.C., but we now know that they can be part of our advocacy efforts and do so effectively uh, from the home district or from the home state. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. Uh, so again, more information to come, but put it on your calendars. This will be an in-person and virtual, so a hybrid event for the 2022 ACB Leadership Conference, March 11th to 15th. And if folks have additional questions related to any of the items we discussed here today, or you would like to get in touch with Swatha about completing the rideshare survey, 
um, as well as for additional information about the Leadership Conference. Swatha, what's the best way for folks to get a hold of us? Email us at advocacy at acb.org or call us at 202-467-5081. And not for the last time this year, uh, the penultimate time this year, uh, we want to thank everyone for your advocacy efforts uh, on the items that we shared here today, as well as on our legislative imperatives and the items included in our ACB resolutions and to carry this work into uh, the new year and into 2022. Swatha? Keep advocating. This episode of the ACB Advocacy Update has been made possible in part through the support of ACB of Minnesota. ACBM wants to send along heartfelt greetings to all of its family throughout the ACB community. Having hosted two outstanding and invigorating ACB national conventions, they are committed to expanding opportunity for Americans who are blind and visually impaired. ACBM supports the James R. Olson Memorial Scholarship honoring one of its past members, and they continue to not let life during these challenging times slow down. ACBM invites all to their informative bi-monthly community conference calls, ranging on everything from sports and technology to gardening and loving life in the land of 10,000 lakes. They hold quarterly monthly membership meetings, monthly coffee gatherings, and monthly board meetings. To learn more about ACBM, visit their website at www acbminnesota.org or call 612-223-5543. ACBM, a supporter of the ACB Media Network.